Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.37 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the f- it's 5-5-2022. That's the 5th of May, 2022. Is it the 5th of May something? Oh, yeah, I think it is. I think it's May Day or something like that. Maybe that's the next Monday. I You know what? I don't know. Don't care. Don't give a shit anymore. If you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. You can do that with Fountain App. It is literally my favorite podcasting 2.0 app, and all you have to do is find the podcast inside that particular app or any one of the other 2.0 enabled podcasting apps, and that's it. That's all you got to do. And then, well, you got to fill up your the wallet that comes that comes with the podcasting 2.0 app with Satoshi's, and you can stream Satoshi's directly to my lightning uh, my lightning wallet, which is about three feet away from me. And that way you get value for value and nobody stands in your way. Nobody stands in my way. We can just have a relationship with each other where we trade value for value. You know, the way we used to do it when humans weren't subjugated to the cockroaches we seem to be, you know, infested with now. So if you don't want to do that, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. If you want to use dirty, rotten fiat, but you know, Enough with enough with the shilling of myself. Let's get into it. One hundred thousand Cubans are using Bitcoin in response to U.S. sanctions. Well, why wouldn't you? Sean Amick tells us why. Bitcoin Magazine. Cuba is embracing Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in response to burdensome U.S. sanctions, according to a report from NBC News. There are reportedly. 100,000 Cubans currently using cryptocurrencies, which is largely thanks to the introduction of mobile internet access that was only provided three years ago. One particular cafe owner named Nelson Rodriguez was interviewed by NBC due to his acceptance of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. In explaining what made Rodriguez decide to accept a new form of payment, he stated, quote, I like crypto because I believe in the philosophy, end quote. The philosophy Rodriguez is likely referring to is the idea that money should be sovereign, meaning that it should belong to those who have earned it, and also that money should not intentionally devalue over time. These particular ideals have clashed with both the local government of Cuba and international sanctions often placed by countries such as the U.S. on Cuba. Because, you know, honestly, who else actually put sanctions on countries over here. I mean, my God, it's only ever the U.S. when it comes to Latin America. PayPal. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Java. I just had a Java error. Fucking hate Java. PayPal, Revolut, Zelle, and many other forms of internationally accepted forms of credit or debit cannot be used by Cubans due to sanctions banning the services. 
Many institutions such as JP Morgan and Deutsche Bank have reportedly faced multi-million dollar fines for providing services to Cubans. On April the 27th, Reuters reported that Cuba was approving cryptocurrency service providers pending the receipt of a license from the central bank. A teacher at Colombia's Pontifica Universidad Javerina, Cali, and former Cuban central bank economist Pavel Vidal reportedly stated, quote, If the central bank is creating a cryptocurrency-friendly legal framework, it is because they have already decided that it can bring benefits to the country, end quote. Alex Gladstein, CSO for the Human Rights Foundation, wrote an article discussing many of the challenges the people of Cuba have endured. During the writing of said article, Gladstein interviewed a son of Cuban exiles and the executive director of the Cuba study group, Ricardo Herrero, to discuss the economic impact of sanctions for the Cuban people. Herrero referred to the embargo placed on Cuba as the most rigid and expansive sanctions regime toward any society on the planet. End quote. Cubans are now taking monetary ownership into their own lands. Yeah, so Cuba's been basically the little bitch stepchild of the United States since the end of the Bay of Pigs. Uh, and the Cuban, well, actually, it started with the Bay of Pigs, it ended with the Cuban Missile Crisis. And next thing you know, we basically just told Cuba that they weren't going to be able to do any business. And one of the things that, there was two things that happened to Cuba that I find the most enduring spirit of humanity that I've ever seen. One is automobile repair. Why? Well, Cuba never had an automobile industry. When Americans were flying down or boating across the, uh, uh, boating across the Caribbean to go gamble at uh, in Cuba because Cuba had some really great resorts. I mean, I don't know. I was never there. I mean, this shit all went down before I was born. But from what I understand, there was some really kick... Uh, Cuba was just a kick-ass place to go party for, you know, just middle like middle-class Americans all the way up to the rich sons of bitches. And they didn't really need to develop some of their own industries because we were just, we were just like Ford, Chevrolet, General Motors. We were just throwing like, you know, cars over there like all the time. So they had cars from the, you know, the forties and the fifties and the very early sixties. And then when all the shit went down, Cuba was cut off. There was no more car imports. There was no more parts for fixing those cars imports. They couldn't get anything. They couldn't get tires. They couldn't get replacement carburetors. They couldn't get nothing. Pistons, forget about it, dude. New heads for a you know for a V8, uh-uh, nope, not gonna happen. Just I mean, mufflers, nope, forget it. Gaskets, gaskets. I mean, of all things in the world, you need head gaskets and you need exhaust gaskets among some other other kinds of things. Those are a lot harder to manufacture than you might actually think, and yet. To this day, there are exquisite examples of 1940s and 1950s American automobiles in Cuba that are running just fine. The Cubans figured out how to do auto repair and do it so damn well that those cars have been running a lot longer than their counterparts in the United States have been running. Isn't that amazing? They also figured out how to do auto paint. They also figured out, clearly, how to do body work. 
They figured it all out. Those cars are still running. And as far as I know, they still don't really manufacture their own automobiles. The second thing is organic farming. A lot of people don't know this. But when that embargo that the United States put on Cuba, it came with everything. We couldn't get Cuban cigars and they couldn't get cars or fertilizer or seeds for that matter. They couldn't get anything. You couldn't buy a shovel, a hoe, a rake, nothing. Now, thankfully, it's a lot easier to make that kind of shit in, you know, in, in a third world country than it is an intake manifold for, you know, a Chevy V8, right? But fertilizer, now that's a deal. And even though, even though, yes, you can go get seagull guano and all kinds of stuff for, you know, phosphate and whatnot, they, it's an island. It's not like it produces a whole lot of this stuff on an annual basis. It didn't take long for the Cubans to figure out how to do organic gardening, how to, how to work with nature rather than throwing a whole bunch of urea in a bag on top of their crops. And they figured out how to do organic farming. They figured out regenerative agriculture. They at least figured out sustainable agriculture to be able to do it without any of these inputs. And they were growing all their own food. So they figured out gardening and auto repair and body work. They became much more self-sustaining than before the embargo of the United States. Now, now they're going to do it with money. They're going to do it with Bitcoin. Cuba, I've always, you know, you know what I always say, Africa and Latin America, Cuba being part of Latin America is a little bit of an offset because it's a fairly large island and it is Latin America, but it's kind of, it's, it's, it's off on its own. It's not exactly close to the mainland, right? It's closer to mainland United States than it is Mexico. So when Cuba starts really going whole hog on Bitcoin adoption, and it looks like it already is, it, it's well on its way, watch out. Watch Cuba. I'm serious. Watch Cuba. Watch Haiti. Watch Dominican Republic. The, the Caribbean islands are something not to, not to not include in when I say watch Latin America. But start watching the Caribbean islands because they have a they have a kind of a special case because they're islands. Cuba has the most special case because they've been embargoed and sanctioned by the United States since what, 1963 or 62 or something like that? I'm just saying, watch Cuba, dude. <clears throat> and watch Focahontas. Senator Warren asks Fidelity to address the risks to put Bitcoin in 401ks. Yep, Focahontas is on her fake warpath. Cointelegraph, Helen Parts. The United States government is growing increasingly concerned about Bitcoin and retirement savings, with two senators flagging some issues in Fidelity Investments' plan to include Bitcoin in 401k accounts. Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, oh for fuck's sake, and Tina Smith of Minnesota expressed concerns over Fidelity's decision to add BTC to its 401k investment plan in a letter to Fidelity CEO Abigail Johnson. Dated May the 4th, the letter suggests that Fidelity's latest Bitcoin plan has potential conflict of interest, noting that Fidelity has been deeply involved in crypto since starting experimenting with BTC and 
ether mining operations and integrating Coinbase accounts back in 2017. I honestly don't see how this is a conflict of interest. <laughs> Whatever. On April the 26th, Fidelity announced plans to allow retirement savers to allocate up to 20% of their portfolio in BTC. Citing high client demand, Senators Warren and Smith, however, argued that there was not enough client demand for this opportunity. Stating, quote, Despite a lack of demand for this option, only 2% of employers expressed interest in adding cryptocurrency to their 401k menu. Fidelity has decided to move full speed ahead with supporting Bitcoin investments, end quote. The letter also mentioned significant risks of, well, of course, fraud, theft, and loss associated with crypto assets. The senators referred to a statement by the Department of Labor which warned in March that any significant crypto investments within company-sponsored retirement accounts may attract legal attention. That's a threat, y'all. The authority also pointed out risks related to cryptocurrencies, extreme volatility, and high speculation, custodial and record-keeping concerns, and others. In short, investing in cryptocurrencies is a risky and speculative gamble, and we are concerned that Fidelity would take these risks with millions of Americans' retirement savings, the senators wrote in a letter. In order to better understand Fidelity's decision to adopt a BTC for 401ks, the senators requested the firm to provide answers on how they are planning to address risks laid out by the Department of Labor by May the 18th <clears throat> of this year. They also asked to provide more information about Bitcoin investment fees and the amount of money generated from Fidelity's crypto mining operations. They don't have shit. That's what, what I'm reading is a letter of desperation. I'm not reading anything that has any substantive claims at all. Everything in a 401k has risk associated with it. So you can throw the the, the their whole uh oh god what, 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 the significant risks of fraud theft and loss are just as prevalent in anything they could be investing in a hedge fund and get rug pulled by the hedge fund manager who liquidates the entire portfolio for himself takes everything and goes and buys you know i don't know Gulfstream five and and you never see the dude again all right there are risks involved in everything inside of a 401k Let's say I've, I'm a 401k manager and I decide to go heavy into oil and gas right now. There's a risk with that. What, there's two risks with that. One, oil and gas prices may fall through the floor. You never know. It's happened many times before. But the other one is now I'm taking a risk with all of my people's 401k that people like Senator Warren will you know maybe be able to tank the oil and gas industry by making it illegal to drill i don't know i mean I'm, it's a little hyperbole here i get that but you get what i'm saying there's a risk in every single sector i, I hear that there that some people are planning on putting a whole bunch of uh restrictions on home appliances because they use too much energy so if I'm invested, in, if I invest in my 401k, all my 401k people, I put them in Maytag, there's a risk. They don't have anything. What they've done is they've unzipped their fly and showed their wang, and it's not a very big wang. You know, Senator Elizabeth Warren at this point is, I think, grasping for paper straws, uh, but we'll have to see. 
I'm not at all concerned about Elizabeth Focahontas Warren's little problem here. Let's move on. Bitcoin is halfway to the next halving. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine, Namcios writing, <clears throat> Bitcoin is now in between the prior halving and the next blockchain data showed Thursday morning. The phenomenon happened exactly on block number 735,000 on the Bitcoin blockchain, which was mined at around 6.30 a.m. Eastern time on May the 5th, 2022. It was the 105th block to be mined after the last halving, which occurred in May 2020 on block number 630,000. The next halving is set to happen on block 840,000. The Bitcoin protocol decreases the reward it gives to miners by 50% every 210,000 blocks, hence the name halving. It takes, on it takes on average four years to mine all those blocks. Miners earn rewards on the Bitcoin network by adding new blocks to the chain. Millions of computers around the world attempt to be the next lucky miner to earn the reward by calculating the block's uniquely identifying numbers through a function that takes things like Bitcoin transactions and a timestamp as parameters, as well as a random number known as a nonce. Miners vary those parameters in an attempt to find a valid number or hash that is below a target set by the network and known as difficulty. The lower the target, the more difficult it is to mine Bitcoin because the more leading zeros are required to satisfy the requirement. Early Bitcoin miners earned 50 Bitcoin. Check it out. Early miners earned 50 Bitcoin for each block they mined when the network was first spun up in 2009. The low difficulty, high reward epoch began to fade in 2012 as the first halving ensued, cutting the reward to a mere 25 BTC. Jeez, could you imagine? Four years later, in 2016, each block uh, started giving out only 12.5 BTC for its miners. Two years ago, the block reward was further cut in half by 6.25, the number that still prevails today. In 2024, the protocol is set to repeat the halving once more, dropping the block reward to 3.125 BTC. Now, for any of you guys who are interested in, in history, the word the halvening was being uh, bandied about before the 2016 halving. I don't know why. I don't remember it being called the halvening before that, but when I got into Bitcoin, um, I my first difficult or uh, my first Havening was the 2016 one, and everybody was walking around talking about the havening because apparently we can't spell anything correctly in Bitcoin. Binance commits half a billion with a B dollars to co invest in Twitter with Elon Musk, Helen Parts, Cointelegraph, major crypto exchange Binance has participated in Elon Musk's $44 billion acquisition of Twitter, according to data filed with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. On May the 5th, Musk filed an amended general statement of the acquisition announcing that Twitter received an aggregate of about $7.2 billion in new financing commitments in connection with the merger agreement, subject to the conditions in co-investor equity commitment letters. 
According to the document, Binance is one of 18 co-investors in the acquisition alongside major crypto industry players like Sequoia Capital Fund and Fidelity Management and Research Company. Oh, Focahontas is going to lose her shit on this one. Having invested $500 million, Binance is the fourth biggest contributor following Lawrence J. Ellison's revocable trust, which invested $1 billion. Sequoia Capital and Vi Capital donated $800 million and $700 million, respectively. Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao took to Twitter, of course, subsequently after the filing became public, describing the company's investment as a small contribution to the cause. Each listed equity investor mentioned in the document has committed to contribute to or immediately prior to the closing of the acquisition. Equity investors have retained an option to satisfy such equity investors' equity commitment with shares of common stock held by such equity investor valued at $54.20 per share. The document reads, 420. The billionaire CEO and founder of Tesla, Musk, officially announced the acquisition of Twitter on April the 25th with a $44 billion worth transaction expected to close in 2022, subject to the approval of Twitter shareholders as well as regulators. He previously said that one of his top priorities for Twitter would be to remove spam and scam bots and the bot armies, including those related to crypto. As previously reported by Cointelegraph, Musk was pushing Binance to address some issues on its platform last year, causing a small Twitter battle with the Binance CEO. Musk specifically brought up a problem related to some stuck Dogecoin withdrawals on Binance, asking Zhao to explain the issue. Oh, for God's sakes. Okay. So Senator Warren is going to have a real problem because now Fidelity Management, and I'm pretty sure that it's like, you know, a, a part of the family of companies that is Fidelity Investments is going to be part of the CEO or the uh, Musk taking over Twitter. And if she hasn't hit the fan about this shit yet, I guarantee you she will and she will soon. Not to mention the other stuff. Now, here's here's the, my, my only problem here is the fact that I wish this had been BitMEX. If, you know, got pour one out for BitMEX. If this had been BitMEX, I would not have a problem. But this is Binance. And they're going to probably leverage their investment vehicle in Twitter to, I don't know, they're just going to end up replacing all the spam bots with themselves in their fucking shitcoin casino. Because Binance is just, it's just as bad as Coinbase. It really is. They're just as bad. So, word of the wise, get your money off of exchanges. Do it as fast as you possibly can. Stop trading this crap. Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, buy more Bitcoin. The world's largest family-owned private bank is doing the same because they now offer Bitcoin. Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick. LGT Bank, the largest family-owned banking group in the world, now offers direct investments in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies through a partnership with Swiss financial institution Siba Bank, according to a press release. Quote, We are very pleased that we can now offer our clients convenient access to these markets while upholding the highest security standards, said Roland Matt, CEO of LGT Bank at Liechtenstein. We worked intensively on this offering, I'll bet you did. Switzerland-based Siba Bank will provide the necessary trading and custody services to the implementation of LGT's offerings. LGT said... 
that the partnership seeks to reduce security risks for its clients that it says are common in the space, including market, liquidity, and private key possession risks. Quote, we have the expertise, established processes, and above all, a custody solution that is ISEA, no, I'm sorry, ISAE certified and established by independent bodies, said Frank, oh no, Franz Bergmuller, CEO of Siba Bank in the release, quote, as a licensed and FINMA-regulated Swiss bank with a core competence in cryptocurrencies and digital assets, we enable banks and their clients to handle traditional and digital assets securely. Bergmuller continued to say, quote, the range of services combined with the highest security standards makes SIBA Bank's service offering unique, and we are very pleased to be able to use our expertise to support LGT in expanding its services for digital assets. The existing clients of LGT will find the processes for investing in Bitcoin similar to the processes associated with traditional assets. LGT will provide the same tax documentation for tax returns, and the liquidity will be accessible after a short period of time if, it ch if a client chooses to sell. The initial offering is only available to select clients, that means the very rich, located in Liechtenstein and Switzerland. The clients must also be designated as either professional clients or have been previously part of an external asset manager. LGT is in the process of extending this functionality across a broader range of locations. So, you know, what I wish that they had done was, you know, how much assets under management does LGT Bank have? And that doesn't mean that they have to be like a hedge fund. How much money does that bank have? It, sure, it's great. It's the largest owned family bank in the whole world. And they're private. Yeah, well, I mean, what is like a, is it like a freaking branch for Happy State Bank size? Is it like Bob's Backyard Banking Services? I mean, I don't know anything about LGT Bank. And I really wish Sean had, had figured that one out. But maybe it's just impossible to get that kind of information when you're just a mere pleb like sean and the rest of us now you know what let's just run our own numbers cnbc futures and commodities west texas intermediate is up 2.74 percent to 110 dollars and 77 cents, ladies and gentlemen. Brent North Sea likewise up over 3% to $113.45. Natural gas is the only loser of the day, but winning long-term, 1.41% to the downside leaves it at a mere $8.30 per thousand cubic feet. If you don't understand what that means, that's a high price for natural gas. Generally speaking, you know, not in the terribly distant past, we had basically prices of $2.90 per thousand cubic feet. And here we are at 8.30. Oh, good Lord almighty, gasoline up almost a full point to $3.68 a gallon. And uh, our good friend Peter Schiff having a good day, 1.37% to the upside for gold, yet still just under $1,900 an ounce at $18.94 and 80 cents. Silver, $22.95 after a 2.5% increase. Platinum is down a half point. Copper is down scant. Palladium is down a half point. Agricultural futures are mostly up. Biggest winner today is wheat at 1.8% to the upside. Biggest loser is 
chocolate almost two points to the downside dow is down oh it's a bloodbath on wall street this morning ladies and gentlemen dow is down 1.27 percent the s p is down 1.67 percent nasdaq taking the full bath at 2.5 percent to the downside s p mini 1.5 percent to the downside what's real money doing thirty nine thousand two hundred ninety one dollars is what it's doing with 2.89 million BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's 120,500 BTC every hour on the hour being sent with an average transaction value of 11.3 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.016 BTC or 650 bucks. Block times are low, nine minutes and 40 seconds. 0.135 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 20 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a 3% drop in hash rate, we are down to 217.8 exahashes per second, which is more security than you'll ever really need for this thing. Uh, Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is at 13.5 United States pennies. So the shitcoin market holding steady. 28,000 transactions are waiting on 25 blocks to clear. Okay, if you've been listening to the show on a daily basis, you realize that that is kind of out of the ordinary over the last couple of months. Why? Well, it looks like Binance dropped a whole bunch of UTXOs for consolidation into a block, and that block took like fucking forever to clear. Um, I don't don't even remember how many transactions were inside of it. It was thousands and thousands and thousands. It was it was like the biggest block I've seen in a long, long, very long time, and it caused a lot of bottlenecking. So a bunch of other blocks that have been waiting on that block to clear are now able to start being processed, and they are still being processed. That's why there's 26 blocks uh, waiting to clear. We have a uh, $739.8 billion market cap, which is 5.94% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 20.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,031,217.18 of, and 3,716 and a half of them are in the Lightning Network valued, again, at a steady $144.2 million. That's being run over 16,921 nodes, sporting 82,907 payment channels that we know of, and 72.8% of all of that is being run over Tor's associated 11,818 Lightning Network nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin Magazine, Kudzai Kutukwa, I think is how you pronounce it, is writing this one entitled, The African Continental Free Trade Agreement Can Succeed with Bitcoin. What the hell is he talking about it? Well, we'll find out. The African Continental Free Trade Agreement is the dawn of a fresh start for the continent. And if implemented successfully, it will unleash a new era of prosperity on the back of increased intra-African trade. At present, intra-African trade is very low, making up only 14.4% of the continent's total exports. The United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, 
predicts that the AFC, the the AFC FTA could potentially increase intra-African trade by 33%, thus reducing the continent's trade deficit by at least 51%. The elimination of tariffs, key infrastructure development, and the harmonization of customs procedures are also core tenets of the agreement that are critical to its success. As the continent grapples with the negative economic effects of the pandemic, it became very clear that developing decentralized regional value chains is necessary. This pact aims to create a new borderless market that connects 1.3 billion people across 55 different nations with a combined gross domestic product of $3.4 trillion, ladies and gentlemen, thus becoming the largest free trade area in the world, according to the World Bank. Don't trust the World Bank, by the way. This will potentially lift at least 30 million people out of poverty and add at least $450 billion in potential income to the region. Okay, well, let's get through it. Let's do it, bro. Cross-border payments within Africa are very slow and costly. This is partly due to the fact that 80% of African cross-border transactions originating from African banks are routed offshore for clearing and settlement through correspondent banking relationships. With over 42 different currencies on the continent, currency conversion cost amounts to $5 billion annually. Additionally, the majority of these currencies don't have any value outside their home country and Coupled with disparate regional exchange rate regimes and payment systems, transacting with African currencies becomes impractical. Without a uniform or robust payment network, the AFCFTA is unlikely to succeed, and this is where Bitcoin is a viable solution. Although mobile money usage has increased with the rise of services like M-Pesa, most mobile money wallets are closed systems that aren't interoperable and only work within certain jurisdictions. Bitcoin wallets, on the other hand, are interoperable and are not limited by geography or regional regional monetary systems. Merchants are able to transact with each other via their Bitcoin wallets at a much faster and cheaper rate than traditional fiat payments. Layer 2 solutions, like the Lightning Network, have resulted in the reduction of transaction costs for Bitcoin-denominated transactions, thus making micropayments possible and reducing the cost of remittances. This would greatly benefit inf- informal traders who are currently unbanked. The Pan-African Payment Settles- Settlement System, or PAPS, a centralized payment and settlement infrastructure for intra-African trade, was developed to allow for quicker processing of cross-border transactions and all the bottlenecks cited above. An initiative of the African Export-Import Bank is, that's what, Af- Afrexim Bank, okay, in conjunction with the AFCTFA Secretariat, PPAS aims to connect African markets with each other by enabling instant cross-border payments in respective local African currencies, now cross-border transactions, or for cross-border transactions. In other words, according to a description of how PPAS works, when an individual or company initiates a cross-border African transaction, compliance checks between countries involved are done within the system instantly. Money from a sender's bank would go straight to the beneficiary's bank within minutes, not days. While this is a welcome development and would remove some of the friction associated with cross-border payments, it has a few major disadvantages. First, every payment, company, bank, 
fintech company, etc., that wants to become a participant in PPAS has to be individually connected to its central database. This is not only inefficient, but it also creates a single point of failure due to, you guessed it, centralization. Second, PPAS in its current form does not incentivize financial inclusion on the part of traditional financial institutions in any way whatsoever. This results in financially excluded informal sector traders being unable to reap the full benefits of the AFCFTA. Furthermore, the trade flows of informal cross-border traders will continue to be inaccurately recorded as they carry on trading with cash. Lastly, African currencies are generally weaker due in part to political instability and low economic productivity. This is something that PPAS cannot hedge against, but Bitcoin can. In September of 2021, when El Salvador officially made Bitcoin legal tender, President Bukele made it clear that the goal was to offer digital banking services to all the unbanked, who make up around 70% of the population of El Salvador. In the first 21 days, Chivo, the government-backed Bitcoin wallet, had 2.1 million Salvadorans using it. That's more users than the customers of any Salvadoran bank. The president's target was met within 45 days with over 4 million new users being onboarded out of a total population of 6.5 million people. Like El Salvador, Africa also has a huge financial exclusion problem with around 65% of adults being unbanked. The majority of these people are employed in the informal sector and the informal sector in Africa accounts for over 85% of all employment. The sector also contributes at least 55% of the continent's 1.95 trillion GDP, according to studies done by the UN and the African Development Bank. Traditional financial service providers have ignored this sector for decades as their prohibitive cost structure makes it unprofitable them for them to service it. Cash is the only means of transacting in the informal sector. In a local context, this is fine. However, it's a huge drawback for taking advantage of the cross-border trading opportunities that are opened up by the AFCFTA. Bitcoin adoption would instantly grant informal businesses access to an open, permissionless, and geographically agnostic monetary network that they can start using immediately. Bitcoin is fully decentralized and is not controlled by any corporation or government, making it the ideal universal currency for settlement of cross-border transactions and contract negotiation. Furthermore, a universal pricing standard across the continent would emerge when goods and services are priced in Bitcoin. This will ultimately lead to efficiency in production and competitive pricing for similar goods or services. Another benefit of Bitcoin is that it has immediate and final settlement. Therefore, the need to route transactions via offshore banks for clearing and settlement is eliminated along with the associated costs. Not only will this reduce unnecessary delays, but the risk of exchange rate fluctuations due to exchange rate misalignments is also mitigated. Businesses operating in countries experiencing currency crises or hyperinflation are able to use Bitcoin as a hedge, thus insulating themselves from the upheavals that negatively affect small businesses the most. Armed with an international currency and the ability to seamlessly transact across borders, more informal sector businesses will be better positioned to export their goods, grow their businesses, and thus increase the rate of intra-African trade in line with the goals of the AFCFTA. Just like in El Salvador, financial inclusion will be rapidly accelerated as a, re as a result of the low barriers to entry of this strategy. 
Africa faces significant difficulties in securing finance for infrastructure development, mainly due to political risk, underdeveloped local currency capital markets, and weak tax bases. To add insult to in injury, infrastructure investment was reduced significantly by African governments and their development partners in the 1980s and 1990s as a result of structural adjustment programs that most African countries implemented under the Washington Consensus. Africa's current infrastructure investment needs are between $130 billion and $170 billion a year, with a financing gap of $68 billion to $108 billion, according to the African Development Bank. The AFCFTA's main objective of boosting intra-African trade can only be achieved with adequate quality infrastructure as goods and services do not move on their own. Energy infrastructure is the biggest major financing need in Africa, with approximately 600 million people in sub-Saharan Africa lacking access to electricity. This not only drives up the cost of doing business, but it also hinders the delivery of quality healthcare and educational services. In order to close this financing gap, alternative sources of finance are required. One potential solution is to take a leaf out of El Salvador's book and issue Bitcoin bonds. The bond structure could allow 40% of the funds to be used for purchasing Bitcoin and the remaining 60% could be directed toward building renewable energy infrastructure like hydroelectric power plants or solar, far solar farms and also for purchasing, yes, Bitcoin mining equipment. Once the plant is fully operational, some of the power generated could be used to mine Bitcoin, which will be used to repay investors as well as to build transmission infrastructure connecting households and businesses. With a 6% coupon rate, a lot of fixed income investors would be incentivized to purchase the bond as it gives them exposure to Bitcoin's performance through a financial instrument that does not violate their investment policy guidelines. This could potentially unlock a large pool of capital from institutional investors like pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, and insurance companies that have over $100 trillion worth of assets under management globally. And finally, Bitcoin adoption presents African central banks with a unique opportunity of accumulating and holding Bitcoin as part of their reserves. As de-dollarization gradually occurs globally and a multipolar future becomes imminent, Bitcoin adoption reduces exposure to and reliance on currencies like the dollar and the euro for trade. A recent report by Fidelity Digital Assets states the following, quote, If Bitcoin adoption increases, the countries that secure some Bitcoin today will be better off comparatively than their peers. Therefore, even if other countries do not believe in the investment thesis or adoption of Bitcoin, they will be forced to acquire some as a form of insurance. In other words, a small cost can be paid today as a hedge compared to a potentially much larger cost years in the future. Therefore, African central banks would gain a significant first mover advantage in this regard ahead of most central banks in the world. In conclusion, meeting the objectives of the AFCFTA is going to require a lot of creativity, tenacity, and willingness to experiment with new ideas and approaches. While this article was only able to highlight a few areas that Bitcoin adoption would optimize, there are numerous other opportunities that can be unlocked by this. So I had, I was really unaware that there was a such thing as an African continental free trade agreement. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's 55 countries on the continent. It actually makes sense to have some kind of trade agreement. 
But as we've seen over the past decades, Africa has been hindered by two things. One, everybody else basically owns their currency. They've been dictated to by France uh, for at least a third of the countries that are in Africa have to use the CFA or whatever, the, some kind of derivative of, a, of the old French franc. And everybody else under the sun has colonized almost every fucking country on that goddamn continent. And in one way or the other has left behind a steaming pile of their monetary policy. Two, the countries that tried to get out of that steaming pile of monetary policy and use something other than some kind of European-based fiat currency, which basically ensured their continued enslavement to said European country, they tried a central bank of their own, printed their own currency, and guess what? Come to find out humanity is rife with greed and corruption no matter where the hell you're from. Are you walking on two legs, wear pants or a skirt or something like that, possibly sit down to take a dump and have to eat food? Well, chances are real good you're a primate. And if you're a primate, apparently what comes along with that is greed and corruption. So inside of almost every African country that tried anything that they could to get away from somebody else's currency, they created their own and almost immediately debased it internally from their own central bank and the corruption of the people inside of it. It's, it's almost as if Africa is just fucked all the time. There's only one way out. Bitcoin fixes this, but apparently not in Kazakhstan. Jesse Coughlin, Cointelegraph. Kazakhstan ramps up power consumption reporting requirements for crypto miners. The government of Kazakhstan, seeking to shoot more holes in their head, has laid out new reporting requirements for cryptocurrency mining operations with a keen eye on how the industry's energy usage affects the local power grid. The order, published by the country's Minister of Digital Development earlier this week, compels digital mining businesses to provide comprehensive information 30 days before starting operations. The electricity consumption and technical specifications for connection to the power grid must be provided before commencing operations. The amount and type of mining equipment used, the customs cargo declarations for that equipment, and any investments planned for the next 12 months must also be included. Kazakhstan was flooded with an influx of crypto miners after the Chinese government decided to point the gun at themselves and shoot themselves in the head. The new reporting requirements also state that miners must submit information about the legal entity carrying out the operations who must be a resident of the Republic of Kazakhstan, along with contact information as well as physical and IP addresses used for, for, for its activities. The same information will need to be updated and submitted in a mandatory quarterly report. Companies winding up mining operations will need to report when they've done so. So you've got to report when you quit. Oh my God. The recent order is an update to an existing order by the minister in October 2020, laying out rules for providing information about digital mining activities. Proposals to hike power prices and increase taxes on crypto miners were brought forward in February, suggesting a 335% electricity price increase, along with removing the value-added tax exemption on mining equipment and instead taxing each individual piece. I've never seen, I've never seen a country decide to lose out on a golden opportunity as fast as Kazakhstan has. 
Kazakhstan authorities have been attempting to root out illicit crypto mining operations in the country due to the load they place on the energy grid. In March, 106 illicit crypto mining operations were shut down following raids by the Financial Monitoring Agency, which seized over 67,000 pieces of equipment at the time. The most recent update to the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index in August 2021 shows Kazakhstan was housing over 18% of the world's BTC hash rate, second behind the United States. Well, you can kiss that goodbye. I'm, I, you know, my heart goes out to the folks over at Kazakhstan who had the goose that laid the golden egg and decided to crack the egg open and kill the goose and make sure that they never, ever were considered in anybody's future mining production facilities again. Pour one out for the homie. Now, oh, well, I guess we could say that for this guy. Former BitMEX chief Arthur Hayes has asked a New York judge for no jail time. Andrew Asmakov, Decrypt.co. Arthur Hayes, the co-founder and ex-CEO of cryptocurrency exchange BitMEX, is asking a Manhattan federal judge for a sentence without jail time. According to a Bloomberg report on Thursday, Hayes legal representatives filed a request for probation with no home detention or community confinement following a plea deal that will likely see him face a jail term of 6 to 12 months under federal guidelines. Quote, this is a landmark case that has already had an extraordinary and well-publicized impact on Mr. Hayes' personal life and on the BitMEX business that he co-founded, reads the 65-page submission Hayes surrendered to U.S. authorities to face trial in April last year before being released on $10 million bail as part of a prearranged deal with the prosecutors. Along with BitMEX co-founders Benjamin Dello and Samuel Reed, Hayes pleaded guilty to violating the Bank Secrecy Act earlier this year after admitting he failed to establish and maintain an anti-money laundering program at the exchange. All three of them agreed to pay a fine of $10 million. Per Bloomberg, in a bid for leniency, Hayes' legal team also provided the court with a letter from his mom, as well as photographs and letters from supporters. Oh my, your mom? Really? Aside from that, the lawyers argued that Hayes' conviction in the emerging area of finance and markets is a precedent the United States can use in the prosecution of financial crimes at cryptocurrency exchanges globally. Oh, of course, let's just go into any country adding that he is unlikely to be a repeat offender. The court's verdict is due later this month. However, to date, the government has not filed a sentencing recommendation. Uh, BitMEX fell under intense regulatory scrutiny in 2019 with the CFTC and the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network charging the exchange with intentionally evading U.S. law. The case was settled in August 2021 after BitMEX agreed to pay $100 million to resolve the charges. Prior to that, 100X, <laughs> the holding company for BitMEX's parent company, appointed Alexander Hopner, the former executive of Germany's la second largest stock exchange, Boris Stuttgart, as a new chief executive officer. In January, BXM Operations AG, a company established by Hopner and BitMEX's CFO Stefan Lutz, announced plans to purchase Bankhaus von der Heidt, a 268-year-old German bank. However, that deal fell through. So Arthur Hayes leveraging his mom at 100x leverage uh, to get out of get out of the shit. It's okay. 
it, if, if it was anybody else, I'd probably have more of a problem with it. I don't because it's Arthur Hayes. And if you don't know much about Arthur Hayes, he was one of the only founders of, yes, a shitcoin casino that actually held true to his beliefs in, in Bitcoin, except for the fact of offering a whole bunch of shitcoins on his exchange. But what are you going to do? It's, it's an exchange. If that's how you're going to make your money, then you need to trade shitcoins. I don't do it. I don't suggest that you do it, but Arthur Hayes was going to do it. But even through all that, he was a he was a big proponent of Bitcoin, still is, and I hope nothing but the best for Arthur Hayes and maybe his mom will get him out of the clink. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, by the way, inflation. We we're talking one of the other. Um, wait, actually, hold on. Nope, nope. Here it is. I'm sorry, I had my tabs screwed up. That's why one was coming before the other. Uh, European producer price inflation has hit a record high of 36.8%. Let's do that again. The producer price inflation index hits a record high of 36.8%. The producer price inflation index is like the consumer price index in the United States and basically is a reporting tool for inflation. Ours hit over what was, what was the last reporting was 8%. And people like shit the bed. Europe, all of it, inflation, 36.8%. That should scare the living piss out of everybody. By the way, this is out of Bitcoin News and written by Ryan Slot. Eurozone producer prices surged more than expected in March as energy prices more than doubled year on year. Data showed on Tuesday. Tuesday, Eurostat, the European Union Statistics Office, revealed prices at factory gates within the Eurozone jumped 5.3% month-on-month for a 36.8% year-on-year surge. With this increase that has never been recorded before, inflation levels continue to soar in Europe, placing increased pressure on the European Central Bank to raise interest rates. Annual inflation hit 7.5% in April, setting a record all-time high. The effects of such a possible emergency rate hike are discussed by economists around the world as it could introduce a time of economic cleansing and usher into recession. Bloomberg quoted European Central Bank Vice President Louis de Guindos as saying, quote, price increases will most likely remain high over the coming months mainly because of the sharp rise in energy cost. According to Eurostat, energy reached a 38% increase. Western European re- response to Russia's involvement in Ukraine is resulting in instability in the energy markets. Gee, who would have guessed? The Netherlands' inflation numbers appear particularly alarming at 11.2%. However, this is partly a result of how the Dutch utility data is calculated. While fear and uncertainty continue to rise, people will likely continue to seek stability to secure their future. Bitcoin will certainly be a strong consideration for many as to where to store wealth in times of record-breaking inflation. High inflation can be a good reason for people to investigate hard money. Countries that experienced hyperinflation recently, such as Venezuela and Argentina, have been on the forefront of adoption as people are looking for alternatives. Real estate prices have indicated inflation as well. The comparison of European member states show that house prices went up over 20% in most countries and over 100% in Lithuania, Austria, Czech Republic, and Latvia. Are people trying to protect their money by buying real estate? 
Skeptics of the euro and fractional reserve banking have predicted that the final fiat currency crisis in the EU for many years, quote, solving the problems caused by printing money by printing more money doesn't work. So the anti-money printing wisdom, or <laughs> I'm sorry, it is apparent that this is a translation. So bear with me, guys. I know these, some of these sentences don't exactly make a lot of sense, but it's what I got from BitcoinNews.com. But central bankers such as Christine Lagarde have shown that they can print money for a long time. And we all remember the famous announcement made by Mario Draghi, whatever it takes. There is no magic. The show must go on. And the only way to keep it going is by printing money. Money printer go burr. The European Central Bank discusses going full Zimbabwe openly in a working paper with the title, quote, whatever it takes. What's the impact of a major non-conventional monetary policy intervention, end quote. Meanwhile, the ECB's balance sheet equals to 82% of Eurozone GDP. The balance sheet of the Bank of Japan equals 137% of GDP. And the e <clears throat> European Central Bank uh, on the way to 100 to 140% range Consumers are the ones who bear the cost for the largest financial experiment in recent history. Their governments use taxpayers' money to service debt, debt that voters may never agreed to. But voters are now expected to deal with higher prices. Bitcoiners are warning about the risks of paper currency since the birth of Bitcoin. With Bitcoin, they believe a fair monetary system can be built and they seek protection from the wealth transfer that inflation causes. Okay, just on the heels of that, uh, we have Turkey. Um, Turkey's inflation has soared to almost 70%, and that's according to the Financial Times. I don't like the Financial Times, but I'm pretty sure that they are not wrong about this particular number. Again, we're talking about the producer price index over in Europe being a 38.7%. The man on the street experiencing in Europe a 7.4% inflation rate. And here we have Turkey. 70, not 70 70%, 70%, 70%, 70%, 70% inflation in Turkey. Turkey is an EU member nation. Remember that. They're also a NATO member nation. It looks to me like NATO and the European Union are heading for a massive crash. And it's been looking like that for a while, but, you know, fuck, it, it is what it is. Lastly, Texas crowdfunding platform offers investors fractional ownership in Bitcoin mines. Stacy Elliott Decrypt.co. Texas crowdfunding platform Energy Funders has started selling equity shares of Bitcoin mining operations through its Bitcoin Discovery Fund. According to an SEC filing submitted yesterday, the company will sell equity in Bitcoin mining operations attached to off-grid natural gas mining rigs for $5,000 per share. The company said in the filing that it will sell up to $10 million worth of those shares. So that was, I just wanted to include that. We talked about a little bit about that yesterday, but this is the first time that I actually saw a real price. It's gonna cost you five grand to get into one share of this particular offering. 
And why do I think that that's important? Well, I think that that's important because who the fuck has $5,000 if you want to get out of poverty? How come it's not, you know, 500 bucks a share? Or is there any reason? Well, yeah, 500 bucks a share or 100 bucks a share. You know, how come you can't let the little guy get in? How come you got to like, how come it has to be so fucking expensive to get exposure? Especially if, if you got people like, you know, Focahontas Elizabeth Warren on her warpath, beating her drum and wearing her goddamn plastic feathered headdress, bitching about how fidelity is going to allow people that probably have more means than $5,000 a share to be able to get exposure to Bitcoin. It's almost like nobody wants anybody to do well anymore in the world. How the fuck do you expect the world to do well if you don't allow its people to? I was going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. What happened to the blind circumciser? He got the sack. Ah, okay, it's Thursday. One more day to go for those people that are mining their fiat jobs to get to the weekend. Um, if you are mining your fiat job, I do hope you actually enjoy that job. There, there are fiat jobs that are enjoyable. And if you like yours and somebody's giving you shit about it, tell them to screw off, All right? It's, it's, it's not easy to find a job that you like. And if you happen to like that job, good for you. You're okay. You're doing fine. Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, don't leverage Bitcoin trades. Don't trade Bitcoin at all, in fact. Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.